Thank you, choir. Caroline, I haven't heard that before, but I like it. I'm sure we're going to hear it again. Probably not today, but I will want to hear that again, Steve. Well, today we're going to continue our series concerning some of the fundamentals of the faith. What do we as Christians believe? And as we have gone through the series, we began by looking at the Bible because the Bible is the foundation for our beliefs. We find our beliefs in the Word of God. We then looked at God, the Trinity, Satan, the uh, nature of man. Last week our focus was on salvation. And today we are looking at the security of the believer. The question for us today is, what does God do when someone who has been saved sins? Now we know that we sin. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us and we deceive ourselves. So that we, we know then that even though we have been saved, we sin. Simon Peter promised undying faithfulness to the Lord and then he denied that he knew who Jesus was. When Jesus was arrested, all of the disciples fled for their own lives except for John. The only disciple who went to the cross with Jesus was John. Thomas doubted that Jesus was alive after the resurrection. So when we are saved and then we sin, what does God do? Well, it seems to me that there are two general ideas as to how God responds. There are those who say, well, God ignores our sin. Everybody sins, so it's not that big of a deal. No, no harm, no foul. Everyone sins, so he ignores it. And there, there are many parents who parent that way. They cannot see when their children do things that are wrong. I remember in the first little church that I pastored, there was a lady who had twin daughters. They were about two years old. And uh, they would come into church, sat right over here to my left. They'd come into the church and just drive me nuts because they talked all the time. They were crawling under the pews, over the pews, dropping hymn books, all those kinds of things. I mean, after they were finally exhausted and I was totally exasperated, then she would get them in her arms and begin to sing and rock back and forth, go to sleep and don't you cry, you'll be an angel by and by. And all the time the little devils were sprouting horns, but their parents are that way. <laughs> They never see when their children do anything wrong. And so there are those who think that God is that way, that He ignores our sin. And then there are those who say, oh no, sin is serious business to God. And so when we sin, then He abandons us. We're out of the family. We lose our salvation. So if a believer then sins, that person is no longer a child of God. Well, which is it? Take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. 
who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sore, just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What I want to do today is to share with you four reasons why I believe in the security of the believer. Why I believe that if one is truly saved, that person is secure in Christ. Four reasons. The first being the way we are saved. In other words, God's plan of salvation. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, God immediately announced his plan for the salvation of man, that God was going to send a Messiah. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4, Paul wrote, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So the Bible says then that concerning salvation, God planned your salvation before the foundation of the world. Now, according to the Scripture, we have been chosen by the Father. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 1, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So in salvation, the Bible says that we have been chosen by the Father. We are sanctified by the Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 2, he says, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So God then chose us for salvation, and the Holy Spirit set us apart for salvation. And then the Scripture says that we are cleansed by the blood of the Son of God. First Peter 1, 2, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Now, concerning salvation, the Bible tells us that the Trinity is involved. We've been chosen by the Father, we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and we are cleansed by the Son. Now, what Paul is doing in the verses that we have just read is giving us a t- detailed version of salvation, how the process works. He says, first of all, that he foreknew us in verse number 29, for whom he foreknew. Now, I know that there are those who say, well, what that means is, is that God looked down the corridor of time and he saw those who were going to believe and he chose them. Well, that is not what it means. Ray Stedman, a wonderful Bible teacher, wrote concerning that he foreknew us, It is concerned with the question of existence. Very interesting. It is concerned with the question of existence. It is telling us that from among the tremendous number of human beings who have been born on this earth since creation of man, God foreknew that you and I would be here. God foreknew us. Before you were created, God knew that you were going to be born. God knew that you were going to... Isn't that an incredible thought? That God knows me before this world was created, that God knows me. He foreknew you. He knew that you were going to be born. Now, he continues, verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, there are those who come to that and they say, Well, that means then that God has predestined some 
to go to heaven and some to go to hell. That God foreknew us and he predestined that some would go to heaven and some would go to hell. Stedman continues, predestination has absolutely nothing to do with going to hell. In the Word of God, predestination is never related to that in any way whatsoever. Predestination has to do only with believers. Predestination has only to do with believers. So, God predestined us. What did He predestine us to? Well, He predestined how we would be saved. Beforehand, He predestined how we would be saved that those in Christ are saved. That's We've been predestined. If we're going to be saved, it's in Christ. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So God then has predestined that salvation is in Christ. And those who are saved are going to be saved in Christ. Barclay wrote, The more a Christian thinks of his experience, the more he becomes convinced that he had nothing to do with it and all is of God. So what did God predestine? He says there in verse number 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? He also predestined to what? To become conformed to the image of his Son. He predestined the way that we live our lives. If we are in Christ, he predestined how we are to live, the character that we are to have. Did you know that everything that is happening in your life is for the purpose of what? Of conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to be like Jesus. Therefore, when God blesses you, He has blessed you so that as a result of that, you might become more like Jesus. The Scripture says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, The kindness of God leads you to repentance. Now, I want you to think about it. The blessings that God has given to you are for the purpose of conforming you to the image of Jesus. So, the Lord has blessed some of you with wealth. Not all of us, but He's blessed some of you with wealth. Why? Why did He bless you with wealth and not someone else? So that you might use that wealth to show us what a godly steward is. See? That you might be like Jesus in your wealth. Well, he's blessed some of you with influence. Why has God given you influence? So that you might show us what it means to be like Jesus with influence. So when the Lord then blesses you, everything that happens in your life, when the Lord blesses you, it is for the purpose that you become like Jesus as a result of it. But some of you today are suffering. You're going through trials. You have questions. You have difficulties that you're facing. Why? Did you know that God wants to use that difficulty in your life to make you to be like Jesus, to conform you to Jesus? That's what he says. He foreknew us, he predestined us to what? To become conformed to the image of Jesus. So everything then that happens in our life, if we begin to look at it, that God is at work using this experience in my life to make me become like Jesus. So he says that he foreknew us. He predestined us and He called us. In verse number 30, 
And whom he predestined, these he also called. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says that God foreknew us. He knew that we were going to be here. He predestined us. Those who are saved are going to be saved in Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit gets involved in calling us to him that we might be saved. The Apostle Paul was, at that time he was Saul. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute the Christians who were there. But the Holy Spirit was already at work in his life. Now, the reason that I say that is because the Scripture says in Acts 26, 14, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, apparently, what was happening is that the Holy Spirit was at work in Saul's life, drawing him to Jesus, though he was resisting. And the Holy Spirit said, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it, Paul? The Holy Spirit was persistent, even though he was Resistant. Another example is the Philippian jailer. You remember the story. Paul and Silas were in, in jail. The Bible says that it was midnight and they were singing songs. Now, the Philippian jailer was listening to them sing. Can you imagine that? Here's the guy who is in charge of the prison, and there are some prisoners back there at midnight. They are singing. What's that all about? He'd never heard that before. And that's not what you do when you're in prison. You're calling your attorney. You're asking for someone to post bail, but not sing. And so he listened to them. As a result of that, the Holy Spirit used that, I think, in the Philippian jailer's life to draw him to Christ. And so he came to Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I don't know what you've got, but I want some of it. I mean, they are in prison and they are singing, and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to his life. I believe that today perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you. Using some experience, some event in your life. Maybe it's a mother's prayers. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher, a witness, someone, a friend. But God is using what has happened in your life to draw you unto himself. So the Bible says that he foreknew us, he predestined, and he called us, and then he justified us. In verse number 30 he continues... And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. Vine said the word justified denotes the act of pronouncing righteous. Now, folks, when a person comes to Jesus Christ, God declares that person is righteous. It is the result of the declaration of God. It isn't because we earn it. It isn't because we deserve it. He says that we're righteous. When we come to Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ, we are said to be righteous. God declares that we are righteous. It happens immediately at conversion. So when a person is converted, they come to Christ then. God says that person is justified. Then he says they're glorified in verse number 30. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. The word glorified is in the aorist tense, which means something that happened in the past with future results. In other words, when... I trusted the Lord, something in the past, I was converted. There is a future result. I'm going to go to heaven. In fact, Paul counts it, says it, as if it's already happened. Do you know as far as God is concerned, if you trusted Jesus Christ, as far as God is concerned, you're glorified? Some of you think, I'm going to be glorified when I get to heaven. No, not right now. If you know Jesus Christ, you're glorified, according to what Paul says. So, I believe that we do not lose salvation because of the way that we are saved. It is all of God. The Lord saves me. He forgives me. It's all of Him. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. It is all about Him. 
in what he did. Second reason is because of the perseverance of the Savior. Now, there is some confusion at this point between, I think, between relationship and fellowship. We, we, there is a distinction that has to be made between relationship and fellowship. Now, I can have a relationship but be out of fellowship. See, I, I, can, I have a relationship as a member of my family because I was born into the family, but I can be out of fellowship with the family, right? I'm, I'm born into the family, therefore I have a relationship. But I can do things to cause me to lose my fellowship. Same thing is true with God. We have a relationship with God, but we can be out of fellowship with God. David committed sin, and his fellowship was broken. That's the reason in Psalm chapter 51, when he is repenting, he says, Against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. Now, David had a relationship with the Lord, but his fellowship was broken. Peter had a relationship with the Lord. He was a member of the inner circle. But he denied the Lord and his fellowship was broken. Thomas had a relationship with the Lord, but he doubted the Lord and his fellowship was broken. And you and I can also be out of fellowship with God. Some of you who have truly been saved, and I'm not saying that everyone who makes a profession of faith possesses Christ. But some of you know Jesus Christ. You really were saved. You really were born into the family of God. But the truth is today you're out of fellowship with Him. There are things in your life that's keeping you from being in fellowship with Him. So, fellowship is fragile because it is dependent upon us. Relationship is secure because it is in the hands of God. All right, so my relationship then is secure because that's what God does. He perseveres in His sacrifice for us. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 14, For by one offering, His sacrifice, for by one offering... He has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. The sacrifice of Jesus is absolutely sufficient. So he perseveres in sacrifice. He perseveres in his prayers on our behalf. Hebrews seven twenty five. he always lives to make intercession for them, and he perseveres in his defense of us. Now I want you to look at verse number 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Now, you know and I know that Satan accuses us. People accuse us sometimes of things. But the only person who has the right, who has the authority to file charges against us is, is God. And he justifies us. So, he says there are no charges. He goes in verse number 34. And there he says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So if there are no charges filed, then there is no condemnation. Jesus is the only one who has the right to charge us. He is the only one who has the right to condemn us. But the Bible says he intercedes for us. He died for us. So in verse number 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here's the point. If there are no charges, there is no condemnation. And if there is no condemnation, then there is no separation. The only one who has the right to bring charges against us is Jesus, and he died for us. So, 
I believe in the security of the believer because of the way that we're saved, the plan of salvation, because of the perseverance of the Savior. Thirdly, because of the promise of Scripture. Now, there are many examples that I could give from the Old Testament, I believe, that teach that. Let me give you a couple. One is David. Now, here's his theology in Psalm chapter 37, verses 23 and 24. David wrote, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Now, here's David. Here's what David is saying. David said, my security is not dependent upon my ability to hold on to the hand of God. It is dependent upon God's ability to hold on to me. You remember when, at least it was true, we used to, when we lived in Oklahoma City and there were, you've got some ice and snow and all of that. And Stephanie was a little girl and we'd go outside and I'd hold her hand and we'd walk. And I'm, I'm holding her hand and, and her little feet are just slipping and sliding everywhere. But I'm holding on to her. To me that has always been a picture of my relationship to the Lord. I mean, I'm out here and my feet are just slipping and sliding and I'm messing up all over the place. But God has hold of me so I am secure. Not because of my ability to hold on to God, but because of His ability to hold on to me. Now David experienced that. That's the reason that he said in Psalm 51:12, "Restore to me the joy of thy salvation." You see, David had committed sin, and as a result of his sin, he lost his fellowship with God, but not his relationship to God. That was the reason that he said, "Restore to me what? The joy. The joy of thy salvation." Folks, there's some of you who know the Lord and you're miserable. That's a shame. And the reason that you're miserable is because you've allowed sin to come into your life that has broken your fellowship. And like David, you need to cry out, Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. There's a difference between relationship and fellowship. Another example would be Lot. You know the story is the Lot went down to Sodom and there he learned to fit in and he becomes a, he becomes a, an official there in Sodom and so forth. But, but he knew the Lord. And um, did you notice that when the story is told about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that the destruction did not come until when? Until Lot was gone. The destruction did not come until... Lot was gone. There are New Testament examples that I can give. Jesus said we're secure. In John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, here's the way I see it. Concerning my relationship to God. Here is the hand of God. I'm in that hand. Now I'm covered with the blood and sealed by the Spirit. So then, how do you get to me? Well, you have to break the seal of the Spirit, disannul the blood of Jesus, and pry open the hand of God. And I guess if you can do that, I'm not secure. But if you can do that down here, I suppose you could do it when I'm up there. So I believe that whenever a person is saved, they are in the hand of God 
They're covered by the blood and sealed by the Spirit. Therefore, we are safe in His hand. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. So I believe in the security of the believer because of the promise of Scripture. Fourthly, I believe in the security of the believer because of the position of the saints. What is our position? Well, when one is saved, one is in the book. Our names are written in the book, the book of life. Now, you know what the Scripture says? It says that is reason for you to rejoice. The Scripture says in Luke 10, 20, Jesus said, Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. When I trusted Jesus, my name is recorded in heaven. If you've been saved, your name is recorded in heaven. He says, Rejoice. Don't worry all the time as to where you're going to go when you die. Rejoice because your names are recorded in heaven. That is the reason for our security because the word recorded is in the perfect tense. It literally is translated recorded, stands recorded, and remains recorded. My name is recorded in heaven. It is recorded. It stands recorded. It remains recorded. There is no minister of erasures up there. Nobody's going to hit the delete button. The Bible says that I have been saved. My name is recorded in the book of life. And as a result of that, I should rejoice. And that is my security. So I'm in the book. And I'm in the body. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So when a person receives Jesus Christ, what happens? Well, they receive a new master, Jesus. I, I did have an old master. My new master's Jesus. I have a new nature. I've been born again. I'm a child of God. And I have a new destiny. I'm going to heaven when I die. Not because I deserve to, but because of His grace. So let me conclude. The reason I believe in the security of the believer, and I, and I do believe that, it is a precious doctrine to me. Because of the plan, the way that we're saved, it is all of him. In fact, one of my favorite little books in the New Testament is the book of Galatians. And the Galatians had responded to the, to the grace of God. Then the Judaizers came in and began confusing them about their relationship to the Lord. And so some of them began to think, okay, I've been saved by the grace of God, but now then I have to keep the law. I have to keep the law to, to be safe or remain saved. So Paul was writing to the Galatians and he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, having begun in the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Now, folks, I think probably all of us would say, whether we mean it or not, we would probably say it. We understand that we can do nothing for salvation, that it is what God does, right? This would mean okay. okay. If we believe that it is what God does, that he, he, he died on the cross for us to provide our salvation. Now then, let me ask you a question. If you believe that you can do nothing to save yourself, why would you believe that you can do something to keep yourself saved? Well, what would it be? If you can't save yourself, how are you going to keep yourself saved? 
The fact is, it is all Jesus. So I believe in the security because of the plan of salvation, because of the perseverance of the Savior. His sacrifice is sufficient because of the promise of the Scripture, and I do believe that it teaches security, and because of the position of the saints, we're in the book and we're in the body. I love this passage of Scripture. Hugh Kennedy of Scotland was on his deathbed. He was dying. His family had been called, and they gathered around. Right before he died, he asked for his Bible. His sight was gone. He had become blind. So he asked for his Bible. They brought him the Bible. He said, now, I want you to take my finger and put it on Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. And he said, children, I have breakfasted with you, and I shall sup with the Lord Jesus this night. And he died secure in Jesus. Why? Because I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I believe in the security of the believer, but my question for you is, are you a believer? Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? You can't be secure unless you've been saved. So do you know the Lord? Our gracious Father and God, we come to a time of invitation as your Spirit examines our lives. And I pray, Father, for those who have never really trusted the Lord. Father, some of them religious, some of them not, some of them members of the church, some of them not. I pray, Lord, for those who have never been born again that today they would. I pray, Heavenly Father, for other decisions, that commitments that need to be made. I pray for those who need to be encouraged concerning their salvation that they understand that you are doing whatever you're doing in their life to conform them to the image of Jesus in whose name I pray. Amen. Just a moment we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. The staff members are going to be here. If you've never trusted Christ, come receive him today. Someone will be here to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please. As they sing, you come. I greet you as you do.